today is our, our final sermon from Peter's writings here, First and Second Peter. So if you've got your Bible, turn to chapter 3, 2 Peter, to the last two verses. We've saved these, these to the end. They have quickly become some of my favorites in Peter's writings, especially after everything that we've talked about so far. So I, I want us to think about the age in which we live for just a moment, because I think that we're living in probably one of the most unique but probably misunderstood periods of time in human history. So think back to some of the accomplishments of man and how that's defined history. So we would say the Iron Age, the Dark Ages, the Industrial Age, maybe a little more recently what some have called the Age of Enlightenment. So what? who defines these ages? And what are they defined by? Well, they're defined by the accomplishments of, of mankind, right? Thinking back as far back as we can go and looking at these periods and saying, well, this kind of fits in here and those sorts of things. What we've achieved, how we have progressed, that's what defines the ages that we live in. But I think Peter is saying that we actually live in a different age. And in all of that time... We've been living in one that isn't really based off of mankind's achievements at all. And I think it's a period of time that's determined by the patience of the Lord, by God's patience. The period of history we're living in now, Peter might call it the age of salvation. Okay, it's that time frame, the history of the world between the first and second coming of Christ. We're alive in that age today. That's what we live in. Jesus, as Savior, has come and he opened up the way to God. And as long as God remains patient, the way remains open. There is a rest for God's people still today. And all those who trust in Christ, who turn from their sin and believe on his name, are brought to God with him, through him. And so that's kind of the distinguishing mark, if you will, of our day and age. And it's way more important than... Who's going to be the first to develop mass market electric vehicles? It's way more important than the fact that they've now discovered that Saturn's rings might actually not be asteroids, but a moon from long ago. Or the election of a new leader. This is way more important than any of those things, any of those eras in human history. God is still patient. Now, the world at large won't view the current age this way. Certainly not. But we are living in an age where God's forbearance, God's patience is still primary. But Peter's been really clear throughout, especially chapter three of this letter, that age will not last forever. That time period, it will come to an end. The day is coming when the heavens, the earth, everything around us as we know it will be changed. Cleansed with fire, he says, made new Now, for those who've been washed by the blood, who are cleaned by the spotless blood of the Lamb, they have the glories of heaven waiting. At the beginning of his letters, Peter mentions them as undefiled and imperishable inheritance. That's waiting for the Christian. But for those who cling to their sin, instead of Christ, they will be righteously judged on the day of the Lord. And so the age of salvation would be a good label for it, but also The age of patience, not my patience or yours, but God's patience. 
And so Peter warns his readers in verse 16 of chapter 3. He says that there's going to be some who come and who will twist what he says, what Paul says, what other writers of Scripture say. And the way that they twist it is going to lead to their own destruction. It's coming. That's, that's happening and will happen. So what would it look like to twist the Scriptures? We'll flip back to chapter 2 for just a moment. Peter describes false prophets, false teachers, those who are coming and twisting these scriptures. He says that these people, and you can kind of skim as I mention these things, these people are greedy. They're, they're sensual. They're wrapped up in pleasing the flesh. These people are, are arrogant. They're immoral. They despise authority. They're ignorant. They intentionally are deceptive. And they look for the biggest audience around them. They promise to deliver freedom, but they actually give more bondage. That's, that's how Peter describes people that twist scriptures in the second chapter. And so this is kind of where we pick up in verse 17 of chapter 3 today. Some of Peter's final statements. So let's read these two verses and ask God's blessing on his word. Chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. You, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, you've been good to to issue a number of warnings to your people through Peter's words. And we want to receive them that way. Uh, Yes, Peter's quill and pen wrote these things, but he was carried along by the Spirit. And so we know that what Peter says here are your words, actually. And so we want to receive them that way, as your words. And so, Lord, when when we, we hear words like, don't be carried away, or lose your stability, but instead grow in grace and in knowledge of Jesus Christ. Lord, we want to take these things seriously. And so we need you to teach us today, young and old. Um, Lord, I pray that you would help us to see through your spirit what you have to, to say for us. In your name we pray. Amen. So, beginning of verse 17, he says, Beloved, beloved, you therefore... So he's calling our attention back to everything that he said previous. And it looks a lot like the same as the structure of verse 14. Look back at verse 14 for just a moment. He says, therefore, beloved, since you're waiting for these things. In verse 17, he says, therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand. So in verse 14, he says, well, since you're waiting for the return of Christ to make all things new, he says, Be diligent then to be found in him, found by him without spot or blemish and be at peace, he says in verse 14. In verse 17, he says, well, since you know that some people are going to twist the scriptures, this is going to happen. Since you're aware of this, take care, be diligent that you're not carried away with their error and lose your own stability. So in verse 14, Peter uses this teaching 
about the second coming as a springboard for further instruction on how to live properly. And in verse 17, he uses teaching about false teachers as a springboard for further instruction on how to live properly. So he's got different starting points, but I think Peter's message is consistent here. And his goal is consistent. It's this, tell Christians how to live properly for the glory of Jesus. That's what he'll say at the end of verse 18. Back at verse 17, he says, okay, knowing this beforehand, this the Greek word here is uh, prognosko. You might recognize an English word that we get called prognosis. You guys know what a prognosis is? So you might get a prognosis from a doctor. So you go in and um, he, he may say, hey, you need to lay off food with a lot of cholesterol and you need to get more exercise or else what might happen? Well, you may have start having heart issues. Okay, so his prognosis is you're in danger of having heart issues if you don't change this thing. Right? Some physical problem is being identified by your doctor so that if it, if it begins to happen, you're not caught off guard. Okay, so is the doctor being real mean to you in telling you that you need to exercise and lay off high cholesterol food? Well, no. He's not trying to be mean to you. Would, would a good, would you like for your doctor when you go in for a checkup to just tell you that everything's okay and then two days later you have a massive heart attack as a result of a bunch of cholesterol? Well, no. He's not doing his job if he doesn't warn you properly. You guys see what's happening here? Peter is doing the same thing. His prognosis is that unprincipled, lawless, Unstable people, even people like this in the church, will distort and twist scripture to support their own immoral lifestyle. And they're going to try to get you to join them. And so he says, therefore, knowing this beforehand, that's his prognosis. And since the fallen hearts of man would rather avoid the light so that our evil deeds aren't exposed, false teachers, they're always going to have a following. You guys understand that, right? People that are coming and saying, twisting scripture will always have people to listen to them because that appeals to the fleshly nature of man. You mean I can continue in my sin and just add Jesus to it and go to heaven when I die? Fantastic. Sign me up. But that's not salvation. Not the salvation that comes from scripture as a result of giving your life to Jesus Christ. And Peter says, look, the intentional misuse and twisting of Scripture can destroy a person, leads to their own destruction. And he wants us to be aware so that we aren't carried away by these teachings into confusion and to lose our own stability, he says. And he, and he used this phrase, he says, take care. I don't know if your translation says it that way. Maybe it says be on guard. It says be alert, be watchful keep safe. So what he's saying with this is that Christians need to be intentionally watchful about what and who they listen to. Why? Because it can have serious, a serious effect in your life. It can have serious effects in your life. So he says, take care, be on guard. Here's, here's the prognosis. How you avoid that end is this be on guard, be careful. When Peter uses that word, it has this idea of, of a watchman. 
watching over the walls of a city. Now, we don't really do that in our culture, but if you've read scripture, you know ancient history, you see this. Cities were protected by walls, and there would be watchmen assigned to different shifts, especially during the night, to keep watch. While everybody else is sleeping, whose responsibility, whose responsibility is it to keep them safe? The watchmen, right? And so Peter is saying, we need to watch our own hearts and our own minds in the same way because a person can be carried away, he says, into the error of lawless people. If you look back at chapter 2, verse 2, this is the same thing he says about false prophets, about false teachers. He says that many will follow them and many will mimic their selfish way of living. Those people have been swept away already into false doctrine and this just deepened their immoral living quoted from rc sproul several weeks ago he said false doctrine produces ungodly living that's what's going to happen this is the danger that peter warns christians about in these verses verse 17 says take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people. What, what is the error of lawless people? Well, I would again direct our attention back to chapter two. Also chapter three mentions some more of these things. Greediness is mentioned a lot. Ungodliness, being driven by the passions of the flesh, scoffing at the idea of Christ coming again following their own sinful desires. And Peter just goes on and on when describing these sorts of people. He says, be on guard. Be that watchman on the wall who's, who's always observing and being careful and intentional about what we listen to, what we see. Be on guard because it can happen quickly. Being carried away into this kind of instability can happen quickly. I mean, how easy is it, especially in the American culture, to just begin to think that this life is all about comfort and earthly possessions. That can happen fast. How quickly can our attention turn to just pleasing only ourselves? Well, I don't, this is too hard, so it must not be right, and marriages end all the time on that, on that principle. It can happen quickly. I mean, it's awfully tempting, especially for young Christians, to doubt if Jesus is ever coming back. Peter's addressed this and he's, he's warning us. And I don't think it's a, an overreaction. I don't think he's being dramatic here. I think we would do well to heed what he's saying because there's something at stake. Okay. So if we don't, if we aren't on guard and we aren't paying attention to what people are saying, what we're believing, what is the consequence? What's at stake? What's the potential price of not heeding Peter's words? Your stability, your assurance, your peace with God. Verse 17, he's, he's saying beloved, beloved. He's talking to Christians here and he's saying, guys, by listening to unstable people, you're in danger of losing your own stability. The Greek word here is sterigmos, which just means stability or steadfastness. Your version might say, now this is the only time that this word is used in the new Testament as a noun. But Jesus uses this, ver- this word as a verb in Luke twenty two thirty two. This is really interesting. He says in that verse, 
Jesus, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. And that's that word, strengthen, sterigmos. You guys remember who Jesus said that to? I've prayed for you. <laughs> he said it to the guy who's writing this letter, to Peter. He said, I've prayed for you that when you have turned again, that you will strengthen your brothers. Just before Peter denies Christ, he, Jesus said that to him. So Simon Peter, who'd been so unstable at that part in his life, was changed by God's grace into a rock of steadfastness. So much so that he is now concerned that others not lose their stability. And he has, he has something to say on this, right? Because he's been there. He's done that. And he doesn't want you and me to go through that and to be there. I don't think that Peter is saying here that Christians can be carried away from salvation when he's talking about stability here. He uses the word salvation in verse 15. He's talking about the patience of the Lord, counted as your salvation. He uses the word saved back in chapter 2 verse 5 in reference to God saving Noah and his family from the flood. But this is a different word than the word in verse 17 for stability Okay, so, so what's the point of the Greek meaning and all of those things? Well, I think it's tied to verse 14. Peter there says, Be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And so the reality is that I, I don't have to tell you guys, but there's concerning stuff happening all over the world. Other nations are at war. Governments are toppling. Ours isn't in the greatest shape either. But there's stuff that's happening in our communities, in our schools, in our homes that's concerning. I was reminded by a friend this week, though, that even though we don't know what the future holds for our own families, for our nation, for our world, we don't know that, but we know the one who does know. He's the one whose patience is continuing to endure. So that many sons and daughters are brought to glory, Hebrews 2.10 says. So Peter's desire, I think here, is that Christians reading this letter continue unwavering in the faith, strengthened in the teaching of sound doctrine, not the wishy-washy changing of the world's philosophies. And certainly not by the false claims of ignorant and unstable people, as he calls them in verse 16. So when we talk about being unstable or stable here, just remember, we're not talking about the mental state of a person of being unstable. We're talking about the spiritual state of a person. I think Peter's making a clear distinction in these verses between people who put their hope in God and people who put their hope in anything else, anything of this world. You guys remember... Jesus told a story about two guys who were building houses and it was about the foundation of these houses. We don't have to be carpenters or architects to understand that when Jesus says one of them built their house on sand, it was a bad idea. But where was the one that was a good idea? It was on the rock. It was stable 
on the rock. But on the sand where it shifted constantly, it was unstable. Guys, it's the same way with us. So it is with us. If you spend enough time listening to the words of false teachers that twist the scripture or only pick out certain parts to prove their point, then it won't be long before you become unstable too. Soon, you will doubt the truth of God's word, less and less able to determine truth, even when it's like right in front of your face. And haven't we gotten there sometimes as a people, maybe even as a church collectively, that the truth is here, but we don't like it so much, and so we like to explain it some other way. So we don't have to listen to it or obey it. If you've ever been in the state of not being able to see the truth when it's right here, and I think probably those, those who are saved certainly have, right? If you can remember back to that moment that you all, all of a sudden you thought, how have I never seen this before? Have you ever been there? Well, if you've ever been in that state just before that, where you don't hardly even recognize it, you know there's no peace there. You're not settled. And I think that's the connection that's Peter, that Peter is trying to get at here. We've been told to be diligent, to be found at peace, but peace and stability can never come from twisting the Scriptures. They just can't. Because if we're twisting the Scriptures, we're giving it our meaning, man's meaning, and it's no longer divine. It's no longer truth. It's what we want. And in that kind of a situation, there's not peace. There's just anxiety. There's worry. There's instability. There's confusion. There's hesita- hesitation. There's wishy-washiness. There's not peace, for sure. Where does, where does peace come from? I, I think if, if you went out and you asked hundred people on the street, and, and if you asked them, would you like to have peace in your life? A hundred of them would say yes. Right? Christian, non-Christian, that's, we, we desire that. To some degree, it's on some level, we want peace. So where does it come from? It doesn't come, it doesn't come from news sources. It doesn't come from your Facebook feed, usually. It doesn't come from these places. Where does peace actually come from? It comes from being dressed in the righteousness of Christ. Not in your own good works. Not in your own abilities. Now, just to be clear, I'm not saying that you can never doubt. Jude, verse 22, says to have mercy on those who doubt. But I don't think doubting is a desirable state to stay in. It's certainly not one that we should remain in. I just think of Hebrews chapter 4, James chapter 1. Those authors both there use the phrase tossed around. Don't be like children tossed back and forth to and fro by the winds and waves of doctrine. So doubting being tossed around like that, it's not a place to remain for God's people. It's unsettling. It's it's being wishy-washy. So what are we to do? If we doubt, what are we to do if we're in that state, if we're unsettled by something? Peter gives us the answer in verse 18. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He says, be on guard, and that will keep you from being tossed around 
by every wind of doctrine, and it will enable you to grow in the way that Peter is describing here. Because get this, guys, growing is not an option. It's, it's really just not. In your own physical bodies, especially as you're a kid, as a baby, as you're getting older, there are marks that doctors want kids to hit. And if they're not making those marks, it's indications that something may not quite be right. We've got these same kind of marks spiritually in Scripture. We just don't often like to compare ourselves to them because it hurts. But growing is not an option. And it's not just an option for your Sunday school teacher. Kids, growing in Christ is not just an option for your mom or dad. Certainly not just an option for your your pastors. I've, I heard it said that living the Christian life is kind of like riding a bike. If you're not moving forward, what happens? You fall off. If you're not moving forward, you become, in Peter's words, unstable. You fall down. If you aren't growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, you'll be unstable. So Peter says, grow in grace. Grace isn't just merely the way that God draws us to himself in salvation when we first come to him, but it's also the way that we grow and remain in steadfastness. So what does it mean to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior? What does it mean to grow in the grace specifically? Well, I think the grace of God it's not just like this advanced metric system where the harder you work, the more grace you receive. In fact, I would say it's the opposite of that. I'd say that God's actual grace opposes any kind of a metric system. What does grace mean? Most of the time you hear it described as undeserved favor. Right? It's not deserved. Unmerited, undeserved favor. This is what sets Christianity apart from pretty much every other religion in the world. God offers grace not because of who you are. Paul explains it this way, Romans 4, 4 and 5. He says, now to the one who works, talking about working for salvation. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. His wage, he's earned that. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Under grace, God gets all the credit, and human pride is humbled. I I read this week, another pastor named Stephen Cole said this. I thought it was really helpful. He says, growing in grace involves coming to a greater understanding of God's holiness his justice and sovereignty, which also makes you see more of your own rebellion, selfishness, and pride. You see more and more of how unworthy you were to be the object of God's saving grace. And yet you also see more and more of how great his undeserved love and favor were that drew you to himself. It's just a bigger picture of who God is and a greater understanding of who you are. I think that's partially certainly what it means to grow in grace. What does it mean to grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? Those are two things that Peter mentions in verse 18. What about growing knowledge? Well, the more you study God's word, the more you see that the Christian life is defined by growing in submission to Christ. 
as, as you see more of who he is and more of who you are. So we could sum that up into a word, obedience, right? To grow in the knowledge. The more you know of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the more your desire is to obey. What does Jesus say? John 14, 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest or disclose myself to him. We understand Jesus better as we obey him more. Growing in the knowledge of Christ includes both facts about him, which can be helpful and are necessary, but also knowing him personally. It has to be both. It can't be just facts about God. You need to know him both of these ways to understand his grace. So being on guard and growing in Christ, it's not just a preventative to being unstable. It's actually the cure as well. Peter tells us that to persevere as a Christian, we must guard ourselves from spiritual error and grow in the grace and knowledge of him. That's it. To to persevere, to keep pressing on in this life, this is, this is the formula, if you will. This is what Peter says you do as a Christian. Christ is the rock, the foundation of every believer. It's where, how our lives should be built. And if you have any stability, if you have any confidence as you walk through this life, it shouldn't be because of you. It shouldn't be because of your just mustered up faith that you did something. It's because of Christ. That's what we have confidence in. If you're doubting, if you feel unstable, be encouraged by the patience and kindness, salvation of the Lord. I would encourage you also stand on the promises of God. They're always kept, even if the timing of it is different than we would expect. God always keeps his promises. I would encourage you to stand on the character of God. He's good. He's sovereign. He's patient and loving, and he works all things for our good and for his glory. That's precisely what Peter finishes the letter with. The glory of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Look at verse 18 again. That last phrase. He says, to him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So what is the theme of the whole Christian life? To give God glory in everything, right? To glorify him. Growing in grace and knowledge of Jesus isn't just to force God's hand of blessing or that he would increase our wealth or our health or our happiness. That's not why we come and sing praises to him. That's not why you give. That's not why you work hard to be diligent to be found in him. It's not just so that he pours out his blessings on us. Now that happens, but that's not the reason why we do it. Our lives should exalt Christ so that through us, others may see just how awesome he is. It's how great he truly is. So Peter teaches that the glorification of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ isn't only in eternity, right? What does he say? Both now and forever. This this kind of living for the glory of God doesn't start at a later date. It starts now. It starts today. Not just on Sundays when we worship with the body of Christ, not just amidst our coworkers 
during the week, not just on the weekends with our friends. God is to be glorified in our lives today, right now. And each day you get up and have breath to breathe and live in this age that he's given us. So as often as you consider his patience and grace towards you, give him glory. Praise his name. And then when we're united with him in glory one day, we'll gather around the throne and we'll sing the song that probably the ladies in the Revelation study know very well. Revelation 5.12. Worthy is the Lamb. The Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. That's what we sing. Not just in eternity, when we're united face to face, that's the song that Christians can sing now. God's people glorify their Savior now and into eternity forever. So today, as we said at the beginning, we live in a misunderstood age. Guys, you're living in the age of salvation. There's no better way to define it. We shouldn't define it by human efforts and achievements. We should define it by what God is doing. And today we live in the age of salvation, of patience. And Peter, in his letters here, have given us just page after page of reasons to reject false ideas about God. And page after page of reasons to glorify God. God's patience is salvation. Repent of sin, believe in Christ, be saved today and live with him and give him glory both now and forever into eternity. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, as as we hear from you and your word, uh, we, I pray, are challenged. You're so good in communicating to us. You certainly didn't have to, and you certainly didn't have to in such clear ways. And not everything is crystal clear, Lord. We still don't exactly know the time and exactly how things are all going to play out on the day of the Lord. But we know some things for certain. Jesus is coming back, and we need to be ready. And you've told us how to be ready. And so, Lord, if, if we're not, if that day comes or, or we slip from this life and we stand before your throne and we weren't ready, Lord, it's not because of your neglect. It's not because of your rudeness. Lord, it's because of our own disbelief. And so, God, save us from that. Look down on those listening today. And give mercy and grace to see just the gift that we have been given in your patience. And Lord, may you give us strength to respond by your spirit and faith. Knowing, Lord, that that's what's counted to us as righteousness. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that in him we have peace. We have grace and knowledge of him through your word and I pray that you would help us to study and to be more and more in love with him and how we study 
day after day that we do that. Lord, help us to encourage one another. As we see the day approaching, help us to challenge and encourage one another in these things. Move in us now as we continue to sing in your name. Amen.